0: Podcasts are sponsored by Kinexis, where we're passionate about helping the world improve and innovate more effectively with our web based software. Learn more at www.makeimprovementhappen.com. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. This is episode 69 of Lean Blog Audio. This is a post from July 16th, 2015. I'm back from a two weeks vacation. I'm back to the blog. This is one of the first posts I wrote upon my return and the, uh, the headline title for the post is healthcare headlines in the UK are mostly similar to the US. So as I wrote and talked about in a blog post about a month ago, and you know, I love newspapers, so I felt like uh, I really fit into the culture last week when I spent five days of uh, vacation time in London. Now, people in England seem to be avid readers, based on the number of newspapers on sale, the number of ads in the tube for various books. Including, I saw a number of ads for Dr. Atul Gawande's most recent book, *Being Mortal*. And you know, newspapers uh, seem to be you know a really important part of the culture. So I made it you know part of my routine to read a few newspapers each day, either you know over breakfast or if we were on a long train ride somewhere. And one morning I picked up uh, the Sunday Telegraph. A headline on the front page um, caught my eye. The headline said uh, thousands of hospital operations are needless. And and this was, you know, front and center huge text. Subheadline says one in 7 treatments not necessary and waste billions of pounds warns NHS chief. That's the National Health Service, of course. So you know, you can find a link to the article if you go to leanblog.org audio69. You know, um, unnecessary care is uh, a problem, of course, in the United States, as people like Dr. Gawande, the Institute of Medicine, and others have pointed out. Unnecessary surgeries, duplicative testing, and the like are often blamed on a, a lack of coordination or defensive medicine. And at uh, some point, uh, to greed in a fee-for-service reimbursement model, where surgeons and hospitals get paid for what might be deemed unnecessary by somebody. Now, here's the the, the challenge, that's often a judgment call. I've always thought the problem was far more complicated than labeling it as just greed. Now, in the NHS in England, surgeons, um, I I believe, I looked this up, um, they're paid a a salary, which you'd think would reduce any financial incentive to do work that doesn't add value to a patient's life. As the article says, Um, NHS contracts pay surgeons for their time, regardless of the numbers of patients they treat. They know that working slowly means that more patients would be sent to nearby private hospitals, which employ those same surgeons to undertake operations on a case-by-case basis. Well, hmm, okay, so it's a little bit more uh, complicated, of course, than people's perception of a monolithic um, government-run health system. You know, unlike Canada, Um, England has separate private healthcare track that exists outside of government hospitals. There's private insurance that um, companies may offer employees on top of um, the NHS that people pay for through taxes. But I I believe this analysis of unnecessary surgeries uh, is pointed at the NHS. Um, I didn't see anything in the discussion about the private surgery centers. Um, So again, from the telegraph, Sir Bruce Keogh, a former cardiac surgeon, said that a, quote, substantial portion of spending in the NHS was wasted on ineffective care, and he estimated that 10 to 15 percent of medical and surgical treatments should not have been carried out on patients. His officials at NHS England said unnecessary operations and medication are now costing the NHS up to 1.8 billion pounds a year. That's over 2 billion U.S. dollars. That would be enough to pay the wages of all ambulance staff for three years. Needless operations can also place patients in danger, putting them at, quote, high risk of adverse events for surgery they didn't need. The article continues. The reasons for overuse of treatment include a lowering of thresholds for interventions in such conditions as cataracts, the most common operation in the NHS, also, people being offered expensive treatments when cheaper alternatives are available and misdiagnosis of illnesses. But it's not just excessive surgery, it's also uh, seen uh, this problem is in inpatient admissions. The NHS England analysis also estimates that more than one in 20 hospital admissions, about 850,000 of 15 million admissions a year, were a waste of money. So, even without the context, of the huge budget pressures that they're facing in the NHS. I agree that we should all look for waste and that there's no shame in admitting there's a problem. That's the first step in solving any problem. And again, from the article, there's a quote, we also have a massive duty to look into all our organizations and to look into the waste. The waste is profligate in our system. I don't think we should be ashamed of pointing that out. And certainly we shouldn't be ashamed of dealing with it. End of quote. So I'd say instead of any greed factor, there, there might be what you might describe as the other people's money problem at work, which you know is also part of the complexity of the American healthcare waste problem. So from the article again, Sir Bruce told uh, a conference of senior doctors and managers, quote, historically doctors, and to a lesser extent nurses, have felt, felt that the money is someone else's problem. I think we need to collectively challenge that because we are in a tax funded system that does as well as our economy does. And when the economy sneezes, the NHS catches a cold. And at the moment, the money is relatively stagnant for the foreseeable future." End of quote. Now, inside that same paper was a big headline also about patient safety and harm. The headline read, NHS pays out billions for medical blunders as lawyers defend fourfold rise in their fees. And it said, an analysis by The Telegraph shows 20 hospital trusts, and the the hospitals within the country, they call them, a lot of them are called a trust, have paid out 1.1 billion pounds for medical blunders in just five years. While below, we tell the story, of tragic story of a mother left severely brain damaged after giving birth to her daughter. So again, this is a very similar problem to what we face in the United States, as well as basically every other developed country. Now the article highlights not just the harm to the patients but the legal fees and settlements that are being paid out and and here's a number that was really shocking to me it says from the article the nhs la which i think is the the legal arm estimates the money needed to settle all medical negligence claims is between 25 billion pounds and 30 billion pounds almost a third of the 115 billion pound a year nhs budget in england the huge sum is the amount the NHS would have to pay if all negligence cases, including ones lawyers have still to bring, had to be paid out at once. One third of their national healthcare spending on settlements from negligence cases. That's, that's really eye-opening. Some seem to blame the lawyers. Um, people do that here in the United States as well. But as I've said about "Quote unquote tort reform efforts in Texas and the rest of the United States," I say the best tort reform is to reduce the number of torts. We reduce the number of torts or lawsuits by improving systems in healthcare and by reducing harm, not just by apologizing and admitting fault sooner. So I agree with this statement from the article by um, from Lisa Jordan uh, within the NHS. She says. If the NHS wants to save money, it should focus on reducing the number of medical errors, so there are fewer innocent victims needing our help. So I, I totally agree. And as I documented on a different page on my blog, you know, different official NHS estimates are uh, putting the number at about twelve thousand five hundred British deaths per year due to medical error. Um, so you know, at that higher number, that would put the per capita rate. At uh, 0. 0.000195. If you look at data for the United States, if, if you believe in the numbers that say 200,000 Americans die each year due to medical error, then our per capita rate is 0. 0.000627, or about three times higher. Now, does that mean American healthcare is really three times more dangerous, or is there a data and reporting problem um, all around? Um, there's, there's, you know, a lot of underreporting of uh, medical harm Uh, it's really hard to estimate um, the exact numbers so final article i saw there the next day i saw a headline that said this again front page huge letters hospital waiting lists at seven year high as 3.4 million need treatment and you know that to me sounds more like a problem you might see in canada than here in the u.s these long waiting lists. Um, but you know, in the US, if, if you don't have affordable health care, if you don't have coverage, if you don't have the ability to pay, your wait uh, might be infinite if you don't get care at all. So again, it said in the article, about 3.4 million patients are languishing on NHS waiting lists, the highest number in seven years. They include more than 6100 forced to wait at least a year for operations or treatment. In the worst examples, the delay has been nearly three years. The numbers are the highest since January 2008 and show the extent to which hospitals are struggling to meet the needs of the growing aging population. Experts said the waits of weeks or months were extremely distressing for patients, some of whom are in considerable pain. So the article talks about targets and uh, meeting targets and and, uh, targets alone, I think, don't fix anything and they can cause a lot of dysfunction as we saw in the VA waiting time scandals here in the US last year. So I think the key question is this. How can the NHS reduce waiting times without throwing money at the problem? Because again, they're in a budget crunch. They don't necessarily have a lot of money to throw at the problem. Are they using lean to increase capacity and throughput in a way that also improves quality? You know, I think the recipe for doing this is uh, to reduce waste. There's usually the need to improve three things in any industry or organization quality, cost, and speed. Traditionally, people would say you can get it, for example, good and cheap, but not fast, or some combination of just two of those things. But lean healthcare helps show that we can improve in all three dimensions simultaneously. We need better, faster, cheaper healthcare all around the world, and we need to go about this the right way, improving systems rather than just cutting costs in a way that might slow care or hurt quality. These are big challenges. These are global challenges. I'm glad uh, a lot of you, including those of you listening, uh, are are working on these challenges. Uh, If you'd like to comment or or read any of these articles, again, you can go to leanblog.org slash audio69.